Hello, and welcome to Mother Daughter Earthcast, a show that will help you navigate the eco world and live a more colorful and conscious life. We'll inform, inspire, and embolden you. And most importantly, we'll have fun along the way to a more planet-caring lifestyle together. We have to connect to the joy that nature brings to us. This fills me. Yes. This recharges me, calms me, lifts me. And if I can go into the world from that place, instead of from a place of fear, then everything is better. Welcome back to another episode of Mother Daughter Earthcast. This is Mariana Archibald and Jenna Woods. And this is a rare treat for us, y'all, because my mom and I have been separated <laughs> for a week, which doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> I know Mariana has been so sad. <laughs> Listen, a little bit of distance is never a bad thing. But it's been, as I'm assuming everyone has heard, it's been super snowy and icy and cold here in Dallas. We've been in the middle of a polar plunge. Is what I'm, listen, this girl lived in Chicago for a couple of years and we're getting to Chicago levels over here. And obviously our city isn't prepared for it. Clearly the electricity grid wasn't either. And my biggest concern from the very beginning has been my plants, to be honest. Mm -hmm. The plants, I mean, we have natives. My mom and I both have natives and they are really great at withstanding cold temperatures when it does freeze here in Dallas. But y'all, like 30 degrees for a couple of days is very different than seven degrees or minus, minus two. It yeah. had not gotten that cold in Dallas since 1949. Yeah. I know. Amazing. And we were, I would say, below 20 for several days. Yeah. And that's unheard of. So all of my plants are currently covered. And With quite a few inches of snow on top of them. Yes, which is good. That'll be good insulation. But tomorrow is the day to uncover them all. So mm -hmm. I'm saying a little prayer. I'm holding my breath. But I'm feeling like you, you can feel the little inklings of the plant energy coming back today. Things are melting. It's coming back, so I am hopeful. But that first freeze day, I was I was pretty sad. Yeah, Toby. Toby looked at me. He was like, "I don't like it when you go so quiet." <laughs> I was like, "My plants are quiet." I know, I know, and the lighting has been so different. It's been that has been fun. It's been so bright. It's been so bright at certain times, and it's been so dark and gray at other times mm. it's I was really amazed at how dramatically the lighting changed in Texas with the snow exactly and then Mariana and Toby took a walk with their dog whiskey amongst some trees and they sent me a photo of their walk and whiskey was in it and I said I love the black and white photo and I know the photo was not taken in black and white, but the trees looked black, the snow was white, and whiskey was black and white. And mm -hmm. it was, you just, you you never, that doesn't happen in Dallas. We see greens, we see different shades. It's not black and white like that. It's very interesting. It was, and actually when we were hiking and taking that photo, we were in this nature preserve that we go through very 
often. It's very close to our house. And what was cool is we went off trail so much because it was so bright. You could see amongst the trees so much easier because a, a lot of them have had lost their leaves, but also because of the snow, all the light was being reflected and almost just illuminated the entire preserve. And so we were, whiskey was loving going off trail and his mom, AKA me (laughs) was brave enough to do it too, because it was just so bright. So it was cool. Interesting. Yeah. But y'all, this is the first day that I would say it's starting to melt and naturally mom's coming and knocking. So she, <laughs> she's, ex- she's excited out of the house and I'm going to, they're going to go on a walk with me with whiskey. I've got yes. to get out in nature. I mean, the birds have just been really entertaining me, but I need more than birds now. <laughs> I know. I know. So we're excited to be back recording together. This is fun because it had, had been a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. We've been just kind of isolating and this is actually the perfect transition and introduction to the person we are talking to today jennifer jewel from cultivating place is definitely a fellow plant lover an avid gardener and has such an amazing way of delivering her message she even changed the way I'm looking at one of our core focuses for this year, which is not only connecting with nature, but connecting with the joy of nature. Yeah. Yeah. She is amazing. She is. And I love her background. Her, she grew up surrounded by nature's beauty and it is just, you can tell it's just oozing out of every pore in her. And unlike me, she actually appreciated nature's beauty from a young age. So kudos to Jennifer for that. (laughs) So she was just an amazing person to talk to and connect with about the joy of gardening, why we garden, why we love it so much and how much plants mean to us. And she, I actually emailed her (laughs) during this freeze telling her that I was really thinking about her and our chat and how sad I was for my plants. And I was trying to explain it to someone and they didn't really get it. And I was like, I know Jennifer would understand. And she did. She she responded in like five minutes. (laughs) She's like, I'm there for you. I've been thinking about you and your plants too. So another amazing conversation with, with such a wonderful human being that is out there sharing the message of the joy of gardening, the joy of connecting with plants, why it's so important and why it's so integral to our quality of life and overall happiness and well-being. And Jennifer, to find her, she has an amazing website, cultivatingplace.com. She also has a podcast and radio program called Cultivating Place. And you can find her on Instagram at cultivating underscore place. And my favorite piece that I have found of Jennifer's so far is her book called The Earth in Her Hands, 75 Extraordinary Women Working in the World of Plants. And one of the reasons I love this book is I just, first of all, am personally very partial to the concept of highlighting the amazing work that other people are doing. And that's what Jennifer has done in this book. She has so much going on. Definitely go to her website to see all of all of the things. And I know she has a new book coming out. Yes, I believe it's supposed to come out around Mother's Day. Yeah. So Jennifer awesome. (laughs) She's definitely. So before we get into our chat with Jennifer Jewell, 
wanted to zip through our announcements quickly, which haven't really changed. So if you've listened to our podcast before, you know what we're going to ask you. If you could please press pause even right now and come back, of course, but go to Apple podcasts or iTunes and leave us a review and a rating. It really helps, honestly, as we grow. And we really just want to get a positive eco message out to people about all things sustainability and all things conscious living. And those reviews and ratings really do help. So we don't just ask them, we'll ask you willy nilly. It really is going to, is going to help us out and just reach more people. So if you could go do that, that would be amazing. Please. Please. And then if you want to check out any of our bonus material and content, head over to patreon.com slash mother daughter earth. We are obviously posting bonus episodes for each of the people that we have on the podcast and also releasing a lot of courses recently. Mm -hmm. Mom is, I've been keeping mom busy on the courses y'all. It's been good. It's been good. Yeah. We're uh, just did one on winter gardening, Mm -hmm. winter gardening and creating a bird oasis and how to take care of land. Man, mom's been busy. <laughs> she can she can teach plants all day long. All day long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and birds. I said the birds. Bird oasis. Yes. You're right. <laughs> Let's not forget mom's birds now. <laughs> I love my birds. They've really been my therapy through this. I know. This snow these snowed in days. <laughs> So anyways, lots going on over on Patreon. So head over there. And even if you're not that interested in the bonus material, this is the way you can support us. So if you like our podcast and what we do on Instagram, then consider being a patron. And we definitely, of course, appreciate it much. So anyways, mom, do you have anything else? No, let's listen to Jennifer. I know. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Yeah. Without further ado, please welcome Jennifer Jewell from Cultivating Place to Mother Daughter Earthcast. What a wonderful day it is. We are here with Jennifer Jewell, who is a an author a speaker she has a weekly radio program which is also her podcast which is called cultivating place and an avid gardener and we are just so thrilled to have you here with us today jennifer thank you for being here well, I, I just really appreciate being here, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. The energy between you as mother and daughter is already so fabulous. <laughs> well, thank you. And anytime mom can rope someone in to chat about plants and gardening, <laughs> we are in. So I think this is going to be a really, really fun conversation, especially so many of our followers and listeners given what has happened in the last year and a bit are getting into gardening. And so we've been getting so many more questions about gardening and connecting with nature and plants. And so I'm super excited to have the pro here with us to give us all of your (laughs) tips and, you know, everything that you've learned through your experiences, but personally, and also through writing your book. So I'm really excited to ask you all about plant connection and gardening. So mom, is actually the one that's going to start us off because she has so many questions for you. And we were both like (laughs) highlighting our notes before and okay, you can take this one. No way. I really want this question. So Jennifer, we are pumped to start it off. So mom. All right. Well, I think the first question is how did you get into gardening? Is it from your childhood or some different life experiences? I, I, it's always so interesting to see 
what puts people onto this amazing path of gardening? It is. And I, it's one of my favorite questions on my podcast. And the way I always frame it is who, who are the, the people or places or plants that grew you into a person for whom this would be valuable? And I am lucky in that I, from a very, uh, no, from the womb was <laughs> completely surrounded by plant loving and garden loving people. My mother was a professional gardener and florist, and um, she designed gardens, she worked in gardens, and she had a floral design business where I was born and raised, which was in uh, Colorado, about 45 minutes directly west of Denver at about 8,000 feet in elevation. Now, Mm. we lived there because my father moved my mother and my oldest sister, while he and my mother were pregnant with me, to Colorado from the Northeast. And all of our extended family was in the Northeast. And um, my father, uh, as a wildlife biologist, was intimately uh, connected to the ecosystem all around us, wherever we might live or go. And so I had sort of plant beauty and love from my mother's side. And I had kind of botanical and more academic plant study and research from my father's side. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, it was, it was always, uh, you know, what is, what, what do you pick in the garden today? What are you going to gather from the garden today? What are we going to cook from the garden today? What are we going to plant or prune or work in the garden? And I think for some little people, that kind of kills the love of it for them because you're like, Oh my God, please don't send me to the garden again. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm sure as a child, I whined and, uh, you know, said there's too many mosquitoes. It's too hot. It's too cold, whatever. But, uh, for me, it really ignited, um, not just a love, but kind of a, a granular level understanding that plants were part of what a good life, an educated life, uh, a concerned and engaged life. Like they were, they were an integral part of any life for me. Um, and so, you know, like many people, I didn't, I gardened in my mother's garden. I worked there. She would pay my sisters and me to help with the floral design and the garden design work. But it wasn't until I had my own house and I had, uh, you know, a family Um, it was really a house first, um, that I went, wait, I can actually make my own garden now. (laughs) Yes. And, um, and that is when, you know, just like the fire lit inside of me and I would wake up in the morning at 5am and think, what do I get to do in the garden today? Um, and I was living in Seattle at this time and that is a fantastic gardening region. You can grow anything. So you have this delusion that you're a good gardener because no matter what you put in, it grows. And so then you're like, Oh, I can do it. We're good. And, and then it kind of went from there. So that's, that's amazing. It sounds like Mariana. It kind of does, (laughs) but, and this was 
so for our listeners, you would have already heard our interview with the amazing author Melina Watts, who wrote Tree, and Melina is the one that connected us to you. And so when I was when we were chatting with Melina, kind of this same concept came up, and she actually helped me completely reframe the way I was looking back on my childhood. So I was one of those children that I would say was put off by nature because of so much nature. <laughs> we grew up on a ranch. We didn't have electricity until the year 2000. Um, we were, I was always outside and we were, mom was always dragging us on hikes. And I think I took it, I, I used before Melina, I think, uh, I viewed it as I had no concept. I just was closed off to the nature world. Who knows what I was doing as a child? But Melina reframed it for me and said, you know what? I think what was happening is you just took it for granted because it was always there, just like a child who has engaged parents takes them for granted. But it wasn't until you didn't have nature that you realized, oh, wait, that is what is missing now. And I love that reframe. But I also love highlighting different people's experiences because you don't have to have had a lifelong connection with nature to foster it and anything can spark it and you can start it at any time in your life and for me when I consciously started relating to nature was through science and my studies of environmental Mm -hmm. engineering the for some reason like the science just got me really interested in in everything about the earth and then learning more about how it works from a scientific perspective just I was amazed and then the more I physically got into it and started integrating that into my personal experience it was magical it was just like there's the magic okay off we go and you you know it's it's just every it's amazing from there so I love your background slightly jealous that you've realized for (laughs) since you were younger that how amazing nature is but there's always hope y'all you can always come around (laughs) there is always hope and there's just always a different reason why people you know have a moment where they decide it's, it needs to be part of their life. And, and sometimes when they have that epiphany in older age, I, I, in my experience, you know, whether that's 18 or 30 or 50, they, they all of a sudden start remembering things they'd forgotten from their youth, like a tree they loved or a, mm-hmm. a creek or a mountain range or, you know, some moment where, where they can actually tie their younger years to this epiphany moment. And, but I'm with you. There's, there is the best day to start gardening was yesterday. And the next best day is today. So um, <laughs> yes, go ahead and go ahead and do it whenever you feel ready, because it will reward you. That magic mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I think one of the great things about gardening slash nature love, which to me are, are, you know, the same thing. Um, it's such a common ground that anyone can meet in, no matter your age, your gender, your geographic location, your socioeconomic standing, you know, whether you like science or food or music, like they are all there in mm-hmm. the garden. Um, you just, you, you yeah. I, I totally agree. And it actually, you just perfectly segued into one of the questions that I wanted to ask you today. For a little bit of background, my mom and I, um, we've been doing Mother Daughter Earth for a while. And then in our different ways, we've been in the sustainability world for a long, long time. And 
a couple months ago, we really sat down and started thinking, okay, what, how can we boil down all of our experiences that we've had and all of the things we've researched and looked into because we're passionate. And so we've been very scattered, which is great. It's part of kind of, I think, laying the foundation, but one, a few months ago, we kind of boiled it down to three main points that in our personal opinion are at the core of learning how to live sustainably and consciously. And the first one on that list is connecting with nature because we don't, we believe that if you don't have that connection with nature as a foundation, you can learn all the eco tips that you would like, but it's never going to be a sustainable lifestyle and and sustainable in the mean, in the way of you won't be able to sustain that different change in in your habits. So can you tell us a little, tell us what you think about that. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you know why or why not? And why have you found that a connection with nature is so important in your life? Um, well, I absolutely agree. I think that a connection to nature, um, will give you the intrinsic motivation to make these other changes of mindset and behavior and, and motivation in your life. Because, you know, I, I was recently interviewing with Doug Tallamy and his new book. Um, and I've interviewed him a couple times on, on s- several of his books, but his most recent one is nature's best hope. And his premise is that, you know, nature's best hope, at least seen through North America is if all of the people who own lawns right now take half of that lawn and move it into native plant habitat. Mm -hmm. I love this idea. It's Mm -hmm. a beautiful idea and it creates functional change in a big hurry. But I disagreed with him about that being nature's best hope. Nature's best hope to me is when we change our minds Mm -hmm. about what is valuable. And so I love the importance of connecting with nature, but I I think the, the only element that I would add to that is we have to connect to the joy that nature brings to us. It can't, I can beat anybody over the head all day long about how they're driving their car too much. They're buying too many material goods. They're using too many plastics. They, they eat too much processed food. But for me, that doesn't, that doesn't change my mind or, or fill me with happiness and and joy and hope and reason to, to change. It fills me with guilt and dread and, like a punitive mindset. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that so many people, and this is so illustrated by this last year on our globe, when the pandemic hit and we were all in lockdown, prior to that, 38% of the United States, 38% of the households in the United States identified as being gardeners of some variety. That could be vegetable gardeners, that could be windowsill houseplant gardeners, that could be any kind. Mm-hmm. That number went up by almost between four and six million people. Wow. Now, Ooh. why they did that, you know, is, is mysterious and interesting. You know, what, did they do that because they were afraid they would not have enough food to eat? Did they do that because they needed someplace to get outside and express themselves? Did they do that for security? Did they do it for a practical reason? And then once they got out there, did they realize, oh, wow, like this actually reduces my blood pressure. This, 
I just saw that butterfly there. Did you, did you hear that bird or the frogs? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they could talk to their neighbors as they walked by, or they could grow vegetables and get one carrot. Now, anybody knows that you can buy a cheaper <laughs> carrot at your local grocery store, then you can grow one. But the joy and the reconnection with our own survival that comes from knowing how to grow food or that you can grow food and the way it tastes different, that is what changes your mind and taps you into the joy of why people not only get to the garden or to nature, but why they stay there. But then they realize like, this fills me. This like recharges me calms me, lifts me. And if I can go into the world from that place, instead of from a place of fear, then everything is better. You know, like you feel like smiling. You don't yell at your kids so much. You think about what you can make for dinner. That's not terrible. You smile at your neighbor instead of feel grumpy with your neighbor, you know, like everything then ripples out from that joy and that sense of connection, um, and and that improves everything. I 100% agree, and this is why we love talking to amazing people like you. I think <laughs> we might change one of our core <laughs> messages to say connect with the joy of nature, because yeah, I I yeah. totally I I hear you, and I definitely agree because that is at the that's at the core of why we love. Connecting with nature is joy. It brings joy. Yeah. And I think, you know, to go back to what you said about, you know, everybody comes to this in their own way. This, this is reaffirmed for me with every person that I interview. And it's also perfectly illustrated by my two daughters. So I have a 21 year old and a 19 year old, and I have had them in the garden and outside since they were, you know, three days old. And we all find different things when we get outside and, and we are going to express ourselves differently. There is no one right way to garden or hike or enjoy nature, right? There, it's, it's as different as the people who, who engage in it. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely myriad, these expressions. I have one daughter who loves to dig. She just loves to dig. She likes to be in the soil. She likes the, the muck. She likes the worms. The other daughter, like as a little person, didn't want her hands dirty, didn't want sand on her hands. But oh my goodness, you give her a pair of clippers, she will cut every flower in the garden, bring it inside and arrange it beautifully. Aww. So like, like that right there is an illustration of there is something for anyone there. Um, they just have to have like the chance to be exposed to it and Mm -hmm. find it, but not everybody wants to grow roses and not everybody wants to grow beets, but most everybody can find some joy in the outside or in their garden. I agree. Jennifer, if you were a garden tool, what would you be? (laughs) You know, I would be, I would absolutely be a basket. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Uh, because I love to collect things. I love to think of myself as a vessel for receiving what it is the garden offers to me on. And is this is different every day, right? It's sometimes it's the birds or the bees. Sometimes it's the flowers. Sometimes it's just literally like getting off of the computer, sitting outside in the sun, 
or in the rain and just feeling the air on your skin and that sensual reconnection to the fact that we are living organisms. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it's a little different every day, but if you have a good handmade wicker basket, (laughs) you can collect anything. I love that. That is so true. It is. And I know, listeners, you can hear the passion in Jennifer's <laughs> voice, but you should see her face right now because even just talking about the wicker basket, that was amazing. <laughs> and what are your favorite parts of gardening? I know that I have a landscaping business and each one of my gardeners has a different skill set and they're they're good at different things and there's there's different parts of the gardening that feed their soul and I know what I really enjoy in gardening but what what are your favorite tasks to do in a garden and I guess also what are some of your favorite plants well let's see I'm 55 years old And I live in interior Northern California, which is really hot and dry in the summer and on a good winter is cool and rainy. Um, And I say that uh, both of those two things, how old I am and uh, where I live, because I think that my my greatest asset as a gardener at this point in my life is that I am a complete generalist and I have no particular skill set. I have a sweet little garden. I live in a suburban neighborhood. And um, over the eight years I have been in this home, I have, you know, redone a little portion of what was here when I came, kind of each year. And I have no preconceived notions. I have like very little budget, but I have a lot of time and muscle power that I can, that I will put into it um, because that is just who I am. And so I, I don't have a favorite task. What I love is thinking, you know, I have an hour right now or I have all this Saturday and I walk out and I just listen to what the garden needs me to do. So for instance, I'll give you an example. I'm looking out my office window right now And it is sunny and nice, and we've just had some great rain, which we're very, very thankful for. And I have a like a ridiculously funny front border, which faces south, so it gets a lot of hot sun in the summer. And I call it my native plant border. But and here's here's where I am funny as a gardener is that it is mostly native plants of California but they're backed by a hedge of iceberg roses. Okay, so iceberg roses are probably the most mundane, most ubiquitous, like planted at the gas station, planted at the grocery store kind of roads, but they are just rugged as anything in Northern California, and they keep a glossy green leaf all summer long. Mm. I once established, you don't have to water them more than once a week deeply. Mm -hmm. And those white roses and their green foliage are a perfect counterpoint to the like beige, silver, aromatic native plants of California. So it is not a combination that any book is going to tell you to do, but I had a vision for it before I came into this house and 
I had a feng shui person help me with uh, some just like energy work around the house, which sounds really woo woo, but uh, it's, uh, I really wanted this. The way my house is set up, the road, the suburban road is coming directly at my house. So I am at the end of like a, a road and then there's a perpendicular intersection. Mm-hmm. And that energy of the cars coming right at the house was kind of offsetting to me. And somebody said, or um, off-putting to me, and someone said, you should get a feng shui person to just look at that with you. Mm. And I had already had this vision for these like silver summer California plants against that dark green. And the feng shui woman said, you want some energetic protection in the front of your house because that will help redirect the energy of the traffic and and put it down the street instead of right at your house. And she said, you should get something with thorns. Mm, And I said, interesting, right. I will put in this hedge (laughs) of these weird iceberg roses with my California native plants. So, you know, and, and I think to me, that's the fun of gardening at this point is that you, you walk out and you think you're going to go cut back a rose and you realize five hours later that you started cutting back the rose, but then you took the rose clippings to the back and you saw that something else needed clipping and or, you know, you should just transplant that plant you noticed right there right now. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if you if you take a mouse to the movies, those books, you know, or if you give a mouse a cookie or whatever those books were, that's me in the garden. And you come away and it's worth, you know, 10 hours of therapy or 10 yes. hours of massage or whatever it might be. Um, I, I come back in a much more human uh, creature. <laughs> Most definitely. I, you just described how I garden. Um, <laughs> and my mom and husband have made so much fun of me because they literally, what they say, and I think it is true, that I have quite literally transplanted and moved every single plant in my garden at she some has. point. <laughs> because That's I, great. I get out there and I'm like, ah, oh, I really just feel like this needs more movement. I think this iris would be happier over here with other yeah. iris friends. <laughs> and so I yes. have shifted everything around the garden and now it really feels like my garden. I, I, I love yes. it. And I, when I get out there and start, you know, trimming and deadheading that's my favorite thing you just don't just don't I can't be stopped like that's it yeah. I'm just going through it and it's so yeah. true you go out for you're like oh that one daisy that one shasta daisy needs just a little <laughs> bit of deadheading and next thing you know two hours later everything yep. is deadheaded yeah. <laughs> it's great I love that well the way you described how you garden I call that's how I garden also just you know I start off doing one thing and then I end up doing something completely differently I call it my I I have a chihuahua brain yeah it's chihuahua gardening (laughs) the the difference with my mom though and if I pull up to her house I always know if she's had a day out in the garden because she doesn't pick up after herself she Ah. just leaves piles of debris everywhere well I'll get to it (laughs) she'll just she'll just garden but then there's just like piles of things everywhere in the in the yard and so I'll pull up I'm like oh mom mama's gardening there there she was out <laughs> there <laughs> and you can tell you can tell a gardener's garden right like the minute you drive up to a house or or enter a backyard you're like okay this is a gardener's garden you can oh, yeah. tell when they have been they are really in relationship with the people who live there and that they are loved and mm-hmm. um 
you know, you just think of all the plants you've transplanted. Every single one of those plants knows that you you see them, you know them, and you care about them. Oh, Jennifer, I tell them on a daily basis. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, you are, you're looking so great. I love you so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. I definitely talk to my plants. Good. <laughs> my mom good. listens to plants. Mm-hmm. I'm just out there chatting with them all the time. So there's different, <laughs> a different loving relationship going on. <laughs> so you were mentioning your, uh, your native plants plants. Have you always been aware of the importance of native plants or is this kind of a you know something you've started doing the past decade or two or tell me about your journey with native plants. Well um, I am one of those lucky people that I have always been attuned to native plants because I had a father who was a wildlife biologist. So we would go on a hike and we would say, you know, oh, that's that lupin or that's that penstemon or that is a ponderosa pine, that is a lodgepole pine. Mm -hmm. And so that, uh, uh, an expectation that you knew the plants around you just came with life for me. And because we were living at 8,000 feet in the state of Colorado, that is very specific growing environment. Mm -hmm. You cannot grow everything. And so it quickly became clear to my mother that if she was going to have a garden that made her happy, she needed to, to use plants that she could make happy. And that by and large were, were native plants. Um, and she had certainly a mix of plants she loved as well. Like, uh, she, she, and every year she would plant more daffodils and um, we had a fantastic border of peonies that mm. were interplanted with native um, coral bells, hookara. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she figured out over time a really nice kind of interplay for her style of the native plants of our region with some of her beloved plants from her childhood or the Northeast. And, um, and that's certainly what would characterize my garden as well. But, and and I would say that this is true for most people is that once you start to get to know your native plants, you can start to drill down into which ones you love the look of. Mm -hmm. And then that work well in your garden, because if your plants are happy, then you are happy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then there's this lovely positive feedback loop as opposed to fighting with the plants that you think you're supposed to have because you saw them in a picture in, you know, house and garden and, but they don't want to live where you live. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that is a great, I, I am very happy to see the changes in our horticultural world that have brought this into greater focus, but that have also created a demand from gardeners that mean that producers and growers are finding those native plants that can do well in the nursery trade so that you can actually have access to them because there's been a delay in that, Mm -hmm. you know, the growers want to grow what they're going to sell. Right. And the, the gardeners often buy what they think they're supposed to buy because of what they saw on, you know, HGTV or, Uh, or in one of the magazines. And so as we see the whole horticultural world um, kind of increase their awareness and understanding and knowledge of native plants, they've become more in demand. Therefore we get more, therefore people plant more. Therefore you get more beautiful gardens with them so that more people want to plant them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we were actually chatting with this amazing gentleman from our local um, garden center. And he Mm -hmm. was saying something very similar. We asked him about just general shifts and changes in his industry. And he said one of the amazing things that he has witnessed that he's very happy to see is that people are coming in lots of times, first time gardeners, but asking what does this plant do for the greater environment, right? It's not just, oh, that one's pretty. I want that one. They want to know, okay, does it attract hummingbirds? Does it attract butterflies, you know, pollinators? They want to, is it water wise? They're, they're much, they're asking much more of the questions of what role does the plant play on the larger scale as opposed to, oh, that's pretty. It works in shade. That's me, you know, and that's great to see. I I love that. I definitely do. Speaking, when you said, don't fight your plants and and work with plants that work with you. One of the barriers that I have seen for people who've never gardened before and just getting into gardening is it stresses them out. And I can understand that because I was one of those people too, even though I've grown up with a master gardener and I've seen, and she, my mom raised orchids when we lived in Mexico. I've always been, and my dad is, is, you know, a farmer. Like I've always grown up around always growing things, (laughs) but the type A strong type A personality (laughs) in me was really stressed out about the idea of killing a plant and, and not being able to be successful. Got over that. Thankfully, it was a little bit of a bumpy road and I'm still working on my indoor plants. For some reason, I just, I can, I'm, my green thumb is good with the outdoor plants, indoor plants, still working on it. But going back to my question, what, from your personal experience and, you know, everyone that you've interviewed and and met, who, what do you think are some general pieces of advice that you would give someone to start gardening that may find the idea of gardening a bit daunting or nerve wracking? Well, my first piece of advice is remember that this is not a destination. This is a relationship Mm. and it is like any relationship in your life. It is going to take practice. Nobody was born a perfect gardener. There is no perfect garden and there is no finished garden. And if there is, it is a dead garden and that isn't what anybody wants. Um, So remember that it is a practice. Mm -hmm. And as you practice, you will learn more and you will change. I mean, Mariana, um, I am sure that, wait, I got that wrong. Gina. Yes. (laughs) You can attest that the gardener you were at... 20 is not the gardener you are today. Like we, we, every season you will learn more about what the plants want, what the, what the exposure wants, what the climate is telling us. And, and so you just remember that it's a practice and you will learn and trust that if you go with the best of intentions, it's going to be great. It's going to be fine. And you're going to get some really great Instagram photos and you're going to have some days where you're like, that is not going on Instagram today. Um, Because, you know, that's the, the joy of it is the interaction, not the picture. And, and every now and then you're going to get a great picture, but that isn't what a garden is about. It's like raising kids or taking care of a pet. It's, it's a living thing that you're in dynamic um, interaction with. And that's, 
that's part of the fun. And so just trust that you will learn and grow along with your garden. And then the second thing is goes right back to that joy. Like if there's something that's not giving you joy, figure out why it's stressing you out. If it's stressing it, you out because you're trying to be over controlling, recognize that and let it go. If it's stressing you out because you don't actually like doing this particular aspect of gardening, don't do that part. I, I, I recognized early on that it was important for my little family that we have a little bit of lawn. We had dogs, two little kids, a little bit of lawn made total sense. I was working full time. My, my uh, husband at the time was working full time. I didn't want to allocate my garden time to mowing the lawn, but it needed to get mown. And so we, I finally just said, okay, well, that is, you know, a certain amount of money that I can allocate to having someone else mow the lawn because that is not bringing me joy. I'm helping that person keep a job. Um, and, you know, so I think you, you have to pay attention to what you, which parts you like about it because you, you might not like them all. Mm-hmm. And if you, again, like if you, if you want roses and it makes you happy to cut them and bring them inside, well then grow roses. But um, don't grow tomatoes because someone else told you that's what you should have in your garden this summer. If it's stressful and they get, you know, black spot and bottom end rot and, you know, and they didn't do well because you don't have enough sun, like recognize what, where you're struggling, try and figure out why, and then let it go. Yeah. Um, or, or adjust it enough that it's more fun, yeah. you know? And the, what you were saying that it's a relationship with another living being is so true. And I was just chatting about this with my husband the other day. We love our house, have no intention of moving, but if one day we were to have to sell the house, I was saying the hardest part for me will be parting with my plants. The heart. Exactly. Thank you. I know like you understand, like I even just thinking about that was making me sad just because they're my, they're my friends. Like I have a relationship with them. It's like asking me to leave my dog behind in the house that if we were to sell, it is the thought was painful. So I told him we're never going to sell it. We're just going to rent it (laughs) and just just have it always because, um, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it would just, it came up in conversation and you mentioning that made me, made me think about it. Um, okay. Before I know we're going to start having to wind down our <laughs> chat with you because I don't want to, but I listeners, have so much more I want to ask. I know, and you'll be able. To, <laughs> no, I won't. I won't be able to ask everything. <laughs> listeners, for those of y'all on Patreon, we're going to be chatting with Jennifer about her book, "The Earth in Her Hands: Seventy-Five Extraordinary Women Working in the World of Plants." And for those of y'all seeing this on YouTube, you can see this cover, although flipped. But anyways, Jennifer, I um, was going through it. And first of all, it's incredibly inspiring. The women who are there, the diversity of women, the diversity of experiences and and jobs and roles and connections with plants. It, I can't wait to actually read through the entire thing. But And I can't wait to hear your behind the scenes and just everything that was part of this amazing journey of writing the book. But can you at least tell listeners for this public portion of the podcast, what inspired you to put this together and what gave you the idea for your book? Well, the simple answer is that the publisher came to me and because (laughs) of my, my podcast and radio program, my uh, public radio program, they came to me and said, would you be interested in writing a book about women in horticulture? 
And I had to think about it for a, a little bit. And I came back to them and I said, you know, if you've listened to my podcast, the whole focus of it, and they had, which is why they came to me, but I, I had to reiterate to them that the, the purpose of the podcast is to engage and empower and encourage gardeners around the world to embrace gardening, not as uh, a consumer, you know, destination, lifestyle status piece, but as this idea of relationship. And my, my firm belief that gardens and gardeners are these really powerful intersectional agents and spaces of change. So I didn't want to write about women who were doing just beautiful things or just good, good things. I wanted to write about women whose work was actually expanding what we understand gardens and gardeners to be mm. and what expanding and pushing the envelope on what we expect from them um, so that they are seen not as accessories, but as these real agents of change, um, economically, socially, politically, environmentally, um, the, the women that I focused on in the book are all people who have taken their love of plants and whether they're environmental scientists or floral designers or landscape architects or leaders of botanic gardens, they have taken that passion and they have leveraged it to improve our world significantly. And that is, you know, through really personal care. Like each one of these women had a personal reason why it was important to them to see the, the, the paradigm in our world shift away from gardening being this like fluff hobby to being this really important cultural practice. Which it is. I oh, love yeah. That. yeah. I mean, it, it, just one aspect of it, you were talking about Doug Tallamy and how important it is to have native plants for the insects and just the whole yeah. ecosystem. I mean, there's just, you can go on and on and on in so many different ways that gardening is important to a community, to a home, a community, a, a whole society in the world. Yep. In our little small corner of the world, my husband and I put our raised veggie beds in our front lawn, our front yard, mm -hmm. mainly because when we bought it, it was just kind of, we live in the corner lot. And so that corner was kind of like an empty lawn space. So we converted it into veggie beds, but also because it's a great way to meet neighbors. And yeah. the, we have an elderly couple that lives across the street. And when, in the summer when we were growing tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, the, the man every time he and his wife go on a daily walk to the park that's just a few blocks away and every day he would pick up a couple of cherry Aww, tomatoes as a little it. snack and it makes me so happy and it's it's true the rip going back to what you were saying toward at the beginning of our conversation the ripple effect of mm -hmm. something that small is just it makes me happy it brings me joy it brings me joy yep yep, yep. <laughs> Well, Jennifer, we are wrapping our time up here with you in the public podcast. And y'all, 
join us on Patreon because I can't wait to hear everything that Jennifer has to say about her amazing book. But mom, it's off to you with your final question. I know. I don't want it to be my final question. I have so many more things I want to ask you, Jennifer, but hopefully another time. But Jennifer, what do you think is the most important thing that each individual can do to help reverse global warming? Yeah. Um, I will go right back to joy. I would suggest uh, advise, plead, encourage you to walk outside and ask yourself, what do you love most about this natural world? And knowing what that is will encourage you to take better care of it. If that means, you know, driving your car less, planting more trees, mowing or fertilizing less, using less plastic, all of these things will come because you care deeply about our world. I could not agree more, Jennifer. And that is an amazing way to wrap things up. Jennifer, thank you so much. And obviously, mom mentioned at the beginning some of the things that you do, but how can people best get in touch with you and see more of your work and more of the things that you have going on? Um, definitely, uh, connect with me on Instagram. I'm on a, I'm on Facebook as well, but Instagram is my, uh, sort of social media platform of choice. And I'm there every other day, if not daily and, um, you know, follow along, give me a comment. Uh, you can find out everything I do, um, through my link tree there or go to cultivatingplace.com. You can sign up for a monthly newsletter. You can listen to the podcast there. You can hear about, uh, the earth in her hands, my first book or my second book, which comes out on actually mother's day this year. Um, under Western Skies is the second book. So. Amazing. And yes, I Cultivating Place is an amazing website with so much information. And um, the Instagram handle is cultivating underscore place. And we will link all of that in the show notes. So Jennifer, thank you so much again. Hopefully we can have you back on the podcast sometime or hang out with you in California one day with Melina Watts and we can all go on a hike. That would be amazing. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, thanks That'd for be being with us. We appreciate you and your time. And, and your expertise. I really appreciate. Oh, well, thank you. It was really fun. Really fun speaking with both of you. Thank you. Thank you.